Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. We have a special message from guest speaker Dan Abbott. We're in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, with the message, Responding by Faith. Well, good morning, Hollyview. Uh, Once again, I'm excited to be here. Jordan, that is an amazing story. I love it. It's so encouraging to see God meet us where we are and the things that are going on in our lives. And I am super excited about jumping into the book of Mark this morning. It has been brewing um, in my heart for a while, and I have seen so much of my life in this text in terms of how it is that I relate to some of the characters in the text and the things that Jesus say to them, and especially at different points in my life and the things that I've experienced. So what I would like to do is I would like to just start out by diving into Mark chapter 9, and we are going to be looking at verses 14 through 29, Mark chapter 9, 14 through 29. And it says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can. All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that you are here in this place right now, God. 
that you know every single thing about us. You know where we're at in our relationship with you. You know what's going on in our lives, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus, that, that you want to hear about it, God, that you speak to us and that we can speak to you. And so I ask, Jesus, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you have for us this morning, Lord, that we would just be in tune to what it is that your spirit is doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So I thought I would begin by telling you a little bit of my own faith story. So for me, I grew up in Connecticut, in a small town, and I went to a small church in Pleasant Valley, Connecticut. And growing up, I really enjoyed going to church. I loved listening to the Bible stories. Um, but at some point around middle school, I decided that I didn't want to go to church anymore, that there was more important things in my life than church, whether it was friends or sports or partying, whatever else seemed a lot more fun than going to church and being a part of church. It's obviously not true, right? But I found myself getting further and further away from God. Now, I would still go to church, you know, on the holidays, right, for Easter and for Christmas. And I found myself sitting in the pew, listening to the message and thinking to myself, I don't think so right now. Maybe, maybe after I get some of my stuff together, then I'll come back and then I'll start going to church again. It wasn't until I was 21, the only thing, it's definitely one of those things you're like, God can only do it. I found myself in New Zealand with a youth with a mission school giving my life to Jesus. It almost as if like it all came to a head and I was like, you know what? I'm not 100% sure about all of this, but I believe and I'm in. I'm in for whatever it is that you have. And you know, for about five years, I was a missionary with Youth with a Mission with YWAM, and I got to tell you that it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I was able to travel to different parts of the world. I was telling people about Jesus. People were getting saved. I mean, it was just one of those things you're like, wow, I'm really seeing the Bible come to life right here and right now. Even like, you know, in my prayer life, it was more about like, gratefulness and, and thankfulness and expectation and anticipation like God was moving and God will always move in such in this way I mean it was it was awesome and then towards the end of one of my one of my mission trips I really felt like the Lord was calling me back home back to Connecticut back to school to finish uh, a business degree that I had left to go into YWAM and I thought okay you know God's leading me there. this is going to work out great and, you know, for the first few months, things were fine. You know, you went to school. I had to get a job. During that time, my parents also moved. So I had to leave the house. They moved to Texas, and I had to find a house, and I started renting a house. I was by myself at the time. And so my daily life was going to school and going to work. I was surrounded um, by lots of people. Many people were unbelievers. And in my mind, I thought, well, my job is to influence these people. And the more and more I was by myself, the more and more I was there, I felt like they were being more of an influence on my life. And honestly, I started feeling lower and lower by the day. I found myself in this house by myself wondering, God, what 
is going on here? How could I go from this to this just like that? Like, are you even here? Like, do you hear me? Like, do you see what I'm going through right now? And there was moments that it had to be God that he just had to break through that mindset. And he's just telling me that, that I am here, that I am here with you right now. And there were so many times that I feel like I had to, to make a choice to respond to either saying, yes, even in the midst of all this, God, I'm still going to come to you and I'm going to yell. I might cry and I might be able to muster up a bit of thankfulness. Or I could respond and just say, you know what? This is too much. I tried. It all worked out for a little bit, but now that it's not working out, it's time for me to go. As I look back on these two very distinct moments in my life, I really feel like I was learning that it wasn't about how much faith that I had or that I thought I had, but what I did with the faith that I did have. No matter how small or how big, it was about coming to Jesus with that and trusting him that he would do the work in me. And in a similar way, today, we will see that how we respond to the situations and circumstances of life will reveal our level of faith and dependence on Jesus. And you might be thinking, I thought you either had faith or you didn't have faith. Or perhaps you're thinking, can my level of faith be situational? Or what does dependence on God even look like? We're going to gain some insight to these questions as we look to this passage and see the different responses of the crowd, the disciples, and the boy's father. Now, have you ever seen one of those movies where you... um, it, it kind of starts off with this one scene, right? And then after it, it plays the scene, it goes into all these different characters that are in the scene, right? It goes through, like, how it is they came onto the scene, what happens after the scene. It's kind of repetitive, right? But you get this broader picture of what's going on in this moment. This is what I want to do this morning with the characters in this story, right? Or the groups. So like I said, we're looking at the crowd, the disciples, and the boy's father, And we're going to see, obviously, the overarching main character of this is Jesus and what it is that he says to each of these groups. So what I want to do is set a little bit of background and set the scene for you. So earlier um, in chapter 9, Jesus, Peter, James, and John are on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? They are witnessing and experiencing something incredible, right? The transfiguration of Jesus, where he is transfigured into this radiant white light of sorts, with Moses and Elijah stepping onto the scene, and God speaking from heaven, saying, this is my son, listen to him. Now, while Mark was writing this, he has an idea in his head. He's thinking of Exodus 24, and this is when Moses goes up the mountain to receive the commandments from the Lord, and then he's up there for 40 days. And while he's up there, there's a whole other scene happening down in the valley with the Israelites. It's when they build the idol, the calf, the golden calf, to worship it. They said, you know what? Moses has been gone too long. We need to figure something else out. And so if you have that in your mind, you know that as Jesus is walking down the mountain with his disciples, he's probably going to be running into some kind of chaotic, commotional scene. And that's exactly what happens. The first thing that they see is a large crowd surrounding the disciples and the scribes. So first, I want to take a look at the response 
of the crowd. They seem to be the first ones to spot Jesus coming onto the scene. And with what seems to be great enthusiasm, they come running over to Jesus. We see this, this running uh, throughout the passage. The crowd, the crowd is doing a lot of running. Running over to Jesus when he comes onto the scene. Running over to when the boy's being healed. Probably running over when the scribes and the disciples start getting into this argument. I call this crowd faith. Okay, Safety in numbers. You can, you can be in awe of Jesus right when he's there. When you're confronted with him. Physically there, right, but spiritually pretty far off. There's no real commitment in crowd faith. If the crowd changes direction, then you will also change direction. All it takes is someone to say, hey, look at, look, let's go look at that over there. Let's go that direction. There isn't any real foundation other than the crowd itself or the next exciting thing. And Jesus is the next exciting thing in that moment. And if you notice when he asks, what are you arguing about with them? The crowd doesn't say anything. And it's because they're confronted with the words of Jesus. And anytime someone is confronted with the words of Jesus, there's going to have to be a decision that's made. It's almost like I can picture like a classroom scene, right? Where the teacher goes away for just a little bit and comes back and the classroom is in, is in chaos. And the teacher asks for an answer of like, what's going on here? And everybody starts looking around, right? Like, oh, was it you? It was you. Was it you? No, it wasn't me. Don't look at the teacher, okay? That's, that's the most important part, or else he'll call on you. And in this case, the question is like, who started this? Somebody must have said something or done something to get everyone so riled up here. The crowd is very uncomfortable at this point because they don't want to be the center of the attention. And they're thinking, you know, I think you're supposed to be talking to the scribes or, or the disciples at least, almost feeling saved when the father finally speaks up to break the silence and the attention is off of them and on to somebody else. Because crowd faith is from looking from the outside in. Happy to be involved, but from a distance. Happy to be involved, but don't ask me to do anything. The mentality of, let's just see what happens. Kind of sitting on the sidelines, waiting to see if this God thing is actually real. Or even perhaps seeing things and then criticizing the way others do this God thing. But they haven't really tried it out yet like a spectator, right, at a sporting event. We just had the Super Bowl, right? So you're super excited when somebody makes a great play, right? But when the player makes a mistake, you're like, oh, come on, what are you doing? I could do better than that. Like if like, you were the running back and a 350-pound man tackles you, that you wouldn't drop the ball. <laughs> this is faith of the crowd. They are there, but they are not there for the right reasons looking to see what they can get out of it, a cool story, perhaps, proof that Jesus isn't who he says he is. You know, the next time that we hear from the crowd is after Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit, and the boy is thrown to the ground. It says in verse 27 that most of them said, he is dead. 
You can really see their faith in this. There, there really is no faith at all. As soon as they think that it won't work out the way that they think it should, see, I knew it all along. This Jesus thing isn't real. Look what he did to the boy. And that is the last time that we hear from the crowd. Even after Jesus raises the, boys up, the boy up and gives him back to his father fully healed. When something doesn't work out the way we think it should, we are quick to point to Jesus and say, look what you did or look what you didn't do. At first, they were excited to see Jesus. But now they're there blaming him or quickly leaving him. I'm guessing that even after they saw the boy raised, raised up, most of them went back to their homes, went back to their jobs, you know, the everyday things of life almost explaining away the thing that they just saw God do. You know, anytime that you're with Jesus, there's an invitation for you to come to him. And I really feel like they missed out on this opportunity of coming to Jesus and asking him, like, what was that all about? Like, why did it go down like that? Why didn't you heal him instantly? But they don't. They just go back to their lives I tried this Jesus thing out, but it wasn't what I thought. Maybe something better will come down the road. Okay, so let's take a look at the response of the disciples. Okay, different perspective. From the disciples' perspective, they see the father and the boy, right? The father brings the boy to them and asks them to cast the spirit out. Now, why would the disciples think that that is something that they could even do in the first place? Yes, who said that? Winner. Youth group, you guys are doing great, all right? Yes, so as you know, we're in chapter 9, right? We're about halfway through, more than halfway through the book of Mark. And the disciples, up to this point, have seen Jesus do incredible things, right? This is where Jesus is. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's walking on water, healing leopards, raising the dead. He's also multiplying bread and fish, feeding thousands of people not once, but twice. And then we see in Mark 6 that Jesus sends the 12 out and gives them authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. And you know what they do? They heal the sick and they cast out demons. And I can only imagine just how fired up they were when they got back. I mean, in their minds, they are ready for anything. At least they thought that they were ready for anything. So when the father brings the boy to them, they say, yeah, we can do that. But it doesn't work. And right next to them, right, are the scribes and the crowd, with the scribes probably saying exactly what's on the mind of the crowd. Aha! I knew it! I knew you couldn't do that. There's nowhere in the Old Testament that it says that a man can cast out a demon. No, 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 but for real, like a few weeks ago, we were slaying demons left and right. I don't know what's going on right now. And the scribe's like, yeah, okay, I'm sure. No, 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 listen, listen, wait, like if Jesus was here, he would tell you that this is what happened. Yeah, but he's not here at all. And the scribes are loving this until... The crowd moves away 
And they look up and see Jesus stepping onto the scene and asking the question, what are you arguing about with them? And again, complete silence. The disciples and the scribes seem to be at a loss for words. And then the father steps forward and tells Jesus that the disciples tried to cast the demon out, but they couldn't. And looking from the father to the crowd and the disciples, the disciples are hit with a heavy rebuke. Oh, faithless, and in Matthew and Luke it says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Right, so it's believed that Jesus is talking to, to the crowd, to everyone that's standing in front of him. But imagine being one of the disciples, right? Bunched together in this unbelieving crowd at the time. Faithless and twisted. This word twisted means to, to turn aside. A, a picture of, of walking on a path and taking a wrong turn, not even realizing that they went off the path in the first place. We were just on the path with Jesus. How could we get so far off in such a short period of time? I mean, this is like a gut punch to the disciples. And the disciples had to take a back seat, and they watched Jesus take control of the situation and heal the boy. Now, the disciples also have a choice to make here, just like the crowd had a choice. Maybe thinking to themselves, you know what? At this moment, this Jesus thing is not what I thought it was. It was cool back then, but it's not so cool right now. I think maybe it's time for me to get out. We could probably sneak back into the crowd and maybe nobody would notice. Has that ever happened to you where it just seems so hard you don't understand why things are happening the way that they're happening? You think it would be easier to stop trying or to stop believing. But the disciples decide otherwise, and they find themselves in a house with Jesus after the fact and ask him why they couldn't do it. So, this is at the end, right? We're following disciples through this scene. We're towards the end, and now we have different accounts, right? We have the Luke account, Matthew account, and the one that we're in the Mark, okay? But I also want to give some more detail, because Matthew gives detail to this conversation, okay? In Matthew 17, 20, which I think sheds some light on what Jesus says to disciples in Mark 9. In Matthew 17, 20, he says, they ask him, why could we not cast it out? And he says, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And in Mark, he says, this, this can only be cast out through prayer. Okay, so those two things are on our mind, the mustard seed and casting it out through prayer. Now, there's varying translations on this, on the mustard seed verse, okay? Some say faith like a mustard seed, and some say faith the size of a mustard seed. The idea, if it's the size of a mustard seed, this is all the faith I need to make something happen. That's it. And disciples didn't even have that little bit to do that. But if it also includes similar or like the mustard seed, the idea coupled in with prayer coming to Jesus is I take this little tiny bit of faith 
and I bring it to Jesus. And it's in that time that I'm with Jesus that he's able to grow this little bit of faith. It's not me who's doing it. It's Jesus who's doing it. And a mustard seed, the purpose of a mustard seed, right, is to grow into this really big tree. Okay? And it's, and it's what's amazing about the mustard seed that I think why Jesus uses it is that how far out the branches spread. Now, Jesus, right, he's... He's exasperated with the disciples. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. Why? Because he knows the possibilities if they would just trust him and come to him rather than trying to do it on their own, then they could be this tree stretching out with all of their faith, reaching people, reaching the world, but they're not seeing it there. They're thinking, oh, all I need is a little bit of faith and I'm going to go change the world. We're not going to change the world. Jesus is the one that's going to change the world. So Jesus was very clear, right, on why they couldn't. They were faithless and twisted. They were off track. And I believe it was because they were trying to do it in their own strength, not depending on Jesus, but depending on themselves. You know what takes away your faith? It's when you think that you can take matters into your own hands instead of turning to him, depending on him and learning from him. Going to Jesus in prayer on a regular basis, looking to him rather than ourselves for the power and the strength to make something happen. And so we will see something different play out as we look at the response of the boy's father. The father somehow hears that the disciples are in town. And more often than not, that also means that Jesus is going to be there as well. And he thinks, this is the moment. I'll bring my son to him, and he'll be healed. And so he does. You know, he's probably nervous, maybe a little bit of anticipation of this could be it. And so he looks and looks, but he can't find Jesus. But he sees his disciples and he thinks, well, maybe they can heal him. And so he gathers his courage and he asks the disciples to cast the demon out. And of course, right, they're like, yeah, no problem. We do this all the time. And yet he still finds the demon taking control of his son. The scribes, right, quickly jump on the opportunity to call out the disciples as well as the crowd, most likely, pushing the father and the son out of the way. The father left to think, I guess it's not going to happen today. Some time goes by, and he hears another commotion. And the crowd takes off running in that direction. And he can, he can get glimpses of Jesus. He sees Jesus, but the crowd, right, is so big. How could he ever get to him? But he takes advantage of the silence and runs over and pushes his way through the crowd. And the language here is as if he drops to his knees before Jesus and cries out, Teacher, I came looking for you. But you weren't here. I saw your disciples, so I asked them if they could help, but they couldn't. And Jesus, looking down at the Father, toward the Father, looks back up at the crowd and rebukes them for their faithlessness and says, bring the boy to me. 
And as the boy is brought to him, Jesus sees the state of the father's son. And he looks towards the father, or maybe even kneels down, and he looks him in the eyes and asks, how long has this been happening to him? And the father begins to tell the story. Did Jesus need to know how long this had been happening? I don't think so. But he wanted to hear from the boy's father. He was letting the boy's father tell the story, how hard it had been over the years, all the different times that he had to save his own son's life out of the fire and out of the water, laying his heart at the feet of Jesus. And I believe that just as much as Jesus was going to do a work in the son, he was doing some work in the father. And I think at this moment, the father believes like this is the moment. And he says, if you can, have compassion on us and help us. This word help means run to somebody's aid. Jesus, run to us and help us, please. You know what's interesting? Is that when the father brought the son to Jesus the first time, in the first part of the story, he wanted him to heal his son. The focus was on his son. And it still is, but now it says us. That there's something happening in the Father's heart right now as he's talking to Jesus, laying his heart before Jesus. Jesus is doing a work in him. He went to Jesus for this reason. And it, what's amazing is he's still going to do it, but he's still working on the Father at the same time. And Jesus responds in an interesting way. If you can, almost like, are you kidding? Of course I can. Anything is possible for one who believes. Do you still not believe? And the man cries out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe, but these parts of me still doubt. I want to believe fully and wholeheartedly that I can trust you, but I have some doubts. What a real confession of faith to Jesus. And Jesus meets a man with an imperfect faith, in it a faith perfected by how he responds to Jesus. Coming to Jesus with all the faith he had, laying it before him. This is what I have. Is it enough? And the boy was healed and was given back to his father. I really think that the father went away with a lot more than he thought he was coming to Jesus for. I think that we would all agree that life is hard. And when things come into our life or, or have been in our life for a long period of time, and, what, and with what seems to be no project, progress, no change, there is no safer place than to go to Jesus and tell him what's really going on. To tell him how these things are making you feel, how they are affecting you, how they make you so angry at times. And to ask him why. Or when? 
to be real with him. Just the very presence of Jesus can calm our hearts, can heal our hearts. And our circumstances and situations may not actually change. But in that time with Jesus, he strengthens us, he empowers us, and it's in his presence that our faith can grow and stretch out further than we could ever imagine. Do you believe that? There are some days that I am I'm walking in this truth, waiting with anticipation to see God move and work in my life and in the lives of the people around me. But more often than not, though, I find myself coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I believe, but I need help with my unbelief. I believe you can do anything, but I'm not sure you can do this thing. I know that you can do anything, but this thing might be too big for you. And if it's not too big for you, it's definitely too big for me. I think that even before the big things come into our life, we need to be responding to Jesus even with the little things. And it's in the time that we spend with Jesus that the faith truly does grow, that we begin to trust him more and more. So my question to you this morning is how will you respond to Jesus? Are you looking from the outside in, not sure if this Jesus thing is real? I can tell you that it's real. But maybe not exactly what you thought it would be. But it is the realest thing that will ever come into your life. I would challenge you this morning to take a step of faith and begin this life with Jesus. You can respond this morning by telling him where you are, where you are really. Or perhaps you have seen God do incredible things in your life and others, but you're not seeing as much these days. Maybe you have been trying in your own strength. trying to make things happen without bringing it to Jesus. Today is a great day to take the time to confess this to him. Lord, I'm sorry for thinking that I have it all figured out, that I don't need you anymore. I don't want to be dependent on what I can do. I want to be dependent on what you can do. Or maybe you are ready to push through the crowd Drop to your knees and cry out to Jesus that I believe. Help my unbelief. This is what I got, Jesus. And allowing Jesus to meet you where you are, bringing him an imperfect faith and yet a perfected faith in him. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for this time, Lord. And again, we thank you that your spirit is in this place, that you speak to us, God. I want to thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and be real, that we can lay it all down before your feet, God. The smallest bit of faith and the largest big of faith, Lord, Lord, that we would be able to bring it to you, God, and entrust you that you are the one that makes it grow. 
We pray, God, that you would stir us to come to you in the, the little things and in the big things, Lord. And we trust you today, God, that if you want to do a work in us, that you would do this work here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.